I think that everybody deserves for me to give what my gift is. I am an agent of fun and to bring out the best perspectives and best attitudes in other people. I don't always 100% feel the way that my energy comes across, but I believe that everybody deserves my best. Leading human beings, it's already difficult enough. It's a little like sports in that there'll be failures along the way and things just don't work out. Having fun along with that has been a really big catalyst to build a team where people want to do this. The voice you just heard is Jake Doherty, who runs the Grand Rapids, Michigan district for the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. Jake has the gift of a positive spirit, and he uses this gift to bring out the best in all those around him. Since embarking on a career with Vector, Jake has produced over $8.5 million in Cutco sales. Jake's region manager, Jeff Bry, told me this recently. He said, every single person loves Jake Doherty. What a compliment. By listening today, you'll find out what makes Jake so special, and you'll gain insights into how you can become a better leader by bringing out more of your own positive spirit. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm with Jake Doherty today, uh, the district manager in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. Jake has been with Cutco since 2010 started out in the Columbus, Ohio area where he grew up. He ran a branch in 2011 in Akron, graduated in 2012 from the Ohio State University with a degree in history education. He was initially going to be a teacher, chose instead to be a district manager, and took his talents across the state line into Michigan to Grand Rapids, where he has built a great career. Jake has produced over $8.5 million in Cutco sales, was an instrumental part of the Great Lakes Division for many years, and with a shift in division lines, became part of what's called the Michiana Division, working closely with Brett Wiggins. And Jake has been appointed to be the assistant division manager there as well at this time. Uh, Jake Darty, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks, Dan. Excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to this. Tell us uh, how you got started selling Cutco back in 2010. Yeah, for sure. So I remember for me, when I first heard about the job, it was like right before finals week, 
of the tail end of my sophomore year in college. So I had been applying for jobs. I already had a job at a retail <clears throat> store, but I needed needed something extra to even cover textbooks, let alone rent and everything else. And I applied at Kroger. I did not get the job at Kroger. So <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't feeling really confident about my uh, summer job prospects. And then my buddy, Matt, his little sister, Katie, was already on the team and she referred us for the job. And we came for the interview and the manager actually was somebody that we had gone to high school with and graduated with. So Jimmy Millar was my original manager and that's how I originally heard about the job. Jimmy Millar. So he was a branch manager at the yep, time? He was a branch manager. We were the same age. He had graduated from my high school at the same time and, and he was going into his sophomore year summer, going into junior year of college as well. All right, man. You and I share that in common that we started in a branch office. That's pretty cool. So tell us about some of the early experiences that you had and, and what stands out. Yeah, I remember the week I got started, it was like I started on a Saturday and that next week was finals week. So I wasn't sure, do I delay getting started? Do I get started right away? We were just so excited. I was the like one in the interview that was just the second I saw the product and the manager was talking about the pay. I was just, this has got to be too good to be true. And then it just kept getting better. And it's, it's been like that my whole time working here. And so I decided to just go full bore right away. And I could work six of the 10 days in my fast start. I had scheduled 37 appointments in my first 10 days. So just worked really hard. And I remember in that fast start, I had times where I was feeling really overwhelmed because I had school, I had to study. But then by the end of it, I realized that that hard work actually just forced me into a schedule that I'd never really had to follow before. So that was an early lesson when I was getting started and went on to sell about $9,000 my fast start. And I think I was a $22,000 SE2 push after that later on. I uh, won an All-American scholarship that first summer. And I think the biggest thing just when, when I was new and getting started, I just loved being able to set my schedule and getting paid what I was worth. It was really nice. Yeah. So you just lit it up right away. I know your your career personal sales over 200,000. So you've had great sales success right out of the gate. Did when you were in the interview, did you feel like this job was totally suitable for your personality? Yeah, I thought that I didn't know if I would sell anything, but I knew I'd love meeting with customers. I was going to school to be a teacher. Uh, I really enjoyed uh I guess the interactions of meeting somebody new or catching up with somebody and I'm very curious, mm -hmm. I think by nature. I get that probably mostly from my grandfather that just very interested to hear about people. So building rapport was, was very simple. And uh, I love learning new things about people. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I love how Cutco Vector attracts people of all different sorts of personalities. Because from what I've known about you, it, it just seems to me that your personality is sort of tailor-made for this job. But there's a lot of other people that aren't that way when they first get started. When I was in my interview... I didn't think I could do this. I, I was too shy. I was too reserved. I was not very confident. And I was very hesitant at first, but I had to wait a long time to meet with the manager at the end of the interview. And during that waiting period, I sort of converted my thoughts from, I don't know if I can do this into, you know, I really think I should do this. Mm. Like, this is perfect for me. I, I need this. It's great for me to be able to get out of my comfort zone. And I think Vector attracts a lot of people like me also that are able to learn in those early days, right? How to get outside their comfort zone and, and become better at 
uh, rapport building, become more curious, become you know better at all the ways of interacting with people. So it's cool that you sort of saw that you had those talents right out of the gate um, and, uh, and were able to really bring that out even more through this experience and had such great results, man. 9K fast start, 22K push. Like these are big numbers for, for a sales rep in Cutco, even in 2010. Yeah. Those are big numbers for a sales rep in Cutco. So um, even, even to this day, I mean, those are big numbers for a sales rep in Cutco. So you went from rep to branch, right? And in, in the next summer? Yeah, that's um, correct. What, what stands out from those first two summers, uh, either your rep summer or your branch manager experience that you feel like, what, what are the lessons that stand out that you feel like uh, are still applicable to this day? For sure. So uh, lots of things come to mind. I think the first thing as a sales rep, I think the lesson of working hard, following the program in the context of not allowing what I can't do get in the way of what I can do. And that was really beneficial for me, not just during the summertime where I definitely wanted to get off to a great start and, and develop some, some great fundamentals with the jobs. So that way I wouldn't have to work hard during the school year. But by really learning how to, how to maximize my day, I found I, I had more time for fun because I actually knew when the schedule was. There wasn't a lot of that rep summer sitting around going, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Like, there wasn't any of that with my friends. Like, if we had something planned, cool. If not, I was going to do demos. And then I went into the fall semester where I was an assistant manager with Jake Miser. So, shout out to Mr. Miser. And I think the first thing I'll start with, with him that stands out is a funny story that I wasn't the easiest assistant manager to work with. And I did sell a lot and that was beneficial, but, uh, I think I should give some, some kudos to Jake as well as our division manager at the time, Chris Heigl, uh, for talking him out of firing me. I was so <laughs> difficult to work with. He, he actually went to him and said, I, I can't deal with it, Chris. This guy is just, he's difficult. And I think I was difficult because I always wanted to know why, like, I always want to know, so why do I have to advertise? I don't I understand. Like, why, why would I call these PRs? I, why, why do I have to run the interview? Aren't you the manager? Like I, I just had a lot of questions and I don't think I asked it in the best way. Um, <laughs> but one of the biggest things I think that the Leadership Academy and our Cutco Through College program taught me as an assistant manager was just some of the skills that I needed to be a better student. So how to learn, how to apply things that I was learning into practice. I think that when I was an assistant, my classes were getting more difficult but my grades were getting better. And I wasn't studying as much. I wasn't in class as much because I was either in the office, I was doing appointments, I was doing something fun with my friends, I was in intramurals, or I was, was rocking out my classes. So I, I think that those were some, some beneficial ones that first year. And then the second year, as you know, somebody that ran a branch office, started in a branch office. I think you, you ran a couple branch offices. I only got to run one. And I say I only got to one, run one because then I graduated and I became a, a DM. I always tell people that the only thing that really is difficult and, and sucks looking back on Rennie Branch office is that it ended. Like that's the only thing I didn't like is that it ended at the end of the summer. Was it difficult? Sure. It was very difficult, but some of the best things that we get to do are very difficult. And I, I think that the biggest lesson from that summer was just to show up 
as best I could, regardless of how I felt. So I, I guess the concept of the decision train where you make a decision, then you act based on your decisions, and then the feeling will follow. Most people do the opposite where they see how they're feeling and then decide how they want to take take action from there. And uh, yeah, I think that that branch experience was just that second summer, I really grew a lot, but it was all built on that first summer of how hard I worked as a rep and just carried on to be in a branch. Yeah. And your branch was in Akron? Yep. Akron, Ohio. Nice. So that, that's where that's where Justin Nephis operates today, right? That's correct. So at the time, was Ohio mostly one big giant division? So at the time, Ohio and Michigan were actually like both run by Chris and Ohio only had Cincinnati that wasn't a part of that division. Yeah. Wow. So Chris was tackling a major, major uh, undertaking right there with all of that territory. I think the summer I started, there were 63 offices that he was overseeing. <laughs> so not ideal, I don't think, for uh, for one person to be in charge of all that, but it was, it was massive. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want that job, but uh, <laughs> so, uh, if, if anybody could do it, uh, Heigl, Heigl could take that on. For sure. So, yeah. Shout out to Chris. Hopefully you're listening here, man. So you ran this branch in Akron, went back to school for one more year, right? Yep. Went back to school, finished up my senior year and graduated that following uh, June. And you began as a DM shortly before graduation, just because of the way the timing works with recruiting and everything, right? Yeah. So we were on quarters. That was the last year that Ohio State was on quarters. And so we didn't graduate until June 10th, but the Michigan schools were done at the end of April. So I had about two months where I was going back and forth about 10 hours round trip, a couple of times a week to, to get our office going. Yeah. What made you make the choice to be a DM versus choosing another path? It's a great question. So I was going to school to be a teacher. Both my parents are teachers. I have multiple other family members that, that are teachers. So I have a lot of respect and love in my heart for teachers out there. Many of my friends are also uh, in the education system. And I had three options when I graduated. I could have gone on to grad school to get my master's and then go teach. Could have gone straight into teaching or I could have stuck with this this knife thing that I found in, in 2010. And I remember doing the the classic mom and dad pro and con list had the the yellow legal pad had, had what would be good about this one what would be the, the challenges with this and my parents at this point they were getting close to retirement they're both retired now over 35 years of teaching and when they gave a full endorsement of me going and giving this a shot that really was what gave me the confidence moving forward to just make a commitment and go all in and be a district manager and I think there's a lot of similarities I get to teach, right? So that they were excited about me getting to impact young people at a very impactful age in that 17 to 25 year range where people are obviously very, very needing, I guess, of leadership and they need somebody that that would guide and mentor them. And the main difference, I remember my mom put this way, she said, you get to pick who your students are. I can't imagine being a teacher and you walk in every every year and you go, all right, so I'm going to interview each of you and decide which gets to be in the class this year. If it goes well, we will have you back again next year. That would be a really cool way to teach. And I guess it's also mutual to where they also have to agree to, to be in the class. It's not like a forced, 
GED where somebody has to take this history class. It's a, it's a job that they decided and, and we decided to accept it. Yeah, that is a pretty cool way of looking at it. It's interesting how many people I've had in these interviews that had some sort of aspiration for teaching in some way in their life and has found that Vector has enabled them to be able to fulfill that goal, right? Joe Cardillo comes to mind right away as somebody yeah. that uh, had that aspiration. And, and we do get to impact people in such positive ways as teachers here at Vector. I think that uh, um, saying that we're a teacher, if you're a Vector manager, is one of the, one of the more uh, accurate ways of helping people understand what we really do. Yeah, because uh, there is so much just teaching and mentorship that's involved in being a vector manager. So, what was it like for this, you know, diehard Buckeye Ohio boy to cross into the the evil empire over that state line into Michigan, man? Yeah, I mean, that was one of my main concerns of moving to Grand Rapids, Michigan, from Columbus. <laughs> uh, obviously, Michigan and Michigan State are, are both up here. And I remember my initial fear was that like, oh, the whole state is just going to be like Ann Arbor. It's just all Wolverine fans. And the reality was a little bit different. It's a little more split. And it turns out that big brother and little brothers, they don't like to be called, hate each other more than they, they both hate Ohio State. So we, we have found a mutual, if they're a Michigan State fan, we both don't like University of Michigan. If it's a U of M fan, we both don't like Michigan State. And then we can all agree we don't like the SEC and it all it all works out just fine. Plus, we've been on a pretty historic run the last decade. So I think I picked a good time <laughs> to uh, be moving up here. And then last year, they finally got their first, I think it's the first win that they've had since I've lived here. So that has been nice as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess it helps when your your team holds court over the others uh, for the better part of a decade. So that's funny, though. That's very cool. So tell us about some of your biggest wins or most memorable experiences as a district manager. Yeah. So I think to a lot of the, the different things that, man, to, to boil down a decade into just a couple of thoughts is, is a challenge, but over 50 trips that I've been on, I, I've loved the concept of prioritizing travel. I was fortunate to travel quite a bit growing up, but, but some of the things that we get to do on an annual basis makes you really makes it really difficult to not be very grateful for what we get to do here. So in addition to the impacting of people, uh, I think that the travel has has forced me to become a better person, gives you much better perspective on things outside of your little everyday bubble that you have on a regular basis. All the relationships that I've got to build both on the trips and day to day from people that I get to lead, people that I've got to grow with, uh, the mentors that I've got to learn from. It's all been incredible. And uh, I guess as far as like awards and achievement go, the court of honor that already happened, closing in on Hall of Fame, those are cool kind of milestones where you get a chance to see all the people that went into that. And yeah, it's, it's just been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Are there people that have come up in your organization that just stand out to, to you that sort of will be this uh, indelible person in your life? Yeah, there's a lot of those. Lots of little brothers and sisters that have kind of come up in the business. And I, th- I think, too, like right now, we've got people like Peter Sarver that stands out. And Peter's somebody that started my office back in 2016. He's now a district manager. He just bought his first house. 
Uh, he's accumulated his first $100,000 and then some in, in savings. So loving to see somebody like that go from 18-year-old at the job and then now kind of growing up into his own little human. We've got our sales professional team of, of Colin Herman and Adrian Almas, Lane Allen, that have all just kind of come up through the ranks over the years. All three of them ran a couple of branch offices, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to kind of guide them along the way. All have different interests that align with my interests, whether it's sports or it's something that we like to do or it's places we like to eat and easy places to build build those relationships. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's awesome to have all those stories, Jake. And Andy Noggle had that very uh, profound thing he said where he said, yeah, I, you know, I know I've changed those people's lives, but in turn, they've changed mine. And uh, it's great that we have those those stories to share from our career. Yeah. So you are very well known for having the spirit of fun and optimism and positive energy. I would love for you to sort of tell us a little bit more about how this mindset permeates your business and your life. Yeah. So that's a really common question that I get. Like the regular, I think some ways that people phrase it, it's like, Jake, are you always like this? Like, is this always <laughs> what you're like? And the answer would be yes, because I don't always 100% probably feel how my maybe energy comes across, but the way that my perspective, I guess, is on it is that everybody deserves my best. So whether my best is 50% of normal or 80% of normal, 100%, I just think that everybody deserves me to kind of give what my gift is. And if somebody is is really talented in a certain area, my gift happens to be that I guess I'm an agent of fun and bringing out the best perspective, I guess, on things, the best attitudes of people. And I think the lesson that I learned early on that has helped me to, I guess, cultivate that in my business is just planning. And I know that might sound like, what, what does planning have to do with having fun? Well, giving each day the proper amount of planning ahead of time, each week, each month, each campaign, and each year just allows me to not have to think during the day. And so often, if we're having to like think about what is next, we tend to react on people and not be our best. And I, I think leading human beings is already difficult enough. So I don't try to make extra obstacles like me not knowing what my schedule is or what my staff schedule is. And so when we're doing things that whether it is from the, the team building side of things to training, to the sales, development of people, just like sports to where there's an area of failure along the way to where there's going to be things that don't work out exactly as we want. We don't have a hundred percent across the board for, for our statistics. And so having fun along with that, I, I think has been a really big catalyst for me to be able to build a team where people want to do this, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about how everybody deserves your best and your, your gift is you could be an agent of fun. Uh, I think in the end, what people want when they come to work is they want to be able to, you know, obviously earn and achieve their goals but they want to enjoy it while they're here, right? They want to have a good time. They want to be around fun people. They want to be in a positive atmosphere. How we feel whenever we're doing anything 
is a critical part of whether we're going to continue doing that thing, right? If we feel bad, even if we're making money, if we don't like it, we're not going to stay around. If we feel good at something, we might even stay around if we're struggling because we like what we're doing. We're enjoying the people. We're enjoying the environment. And it just seems like you've been expert at creating that positive environment where people just feel good being around you. I like, I like that you emphasize that planning is a part of it because that allows you to then be present in what you're doing each, each moment, each day, right? To really be focused on that thing and not worried about what's going to be coming next because you sort of have it all laid out in your schedule. But uh, it just seems like, you know, this, this is something that you've, uh, you know, worked on and become really good at uh, over time. Tell us about some of the things you do to create a fun atmosphere uh, with your team. Yeah. So I think that working hard, I think it is fun because winning is fun, right? Like hitting the goal is fun. Achieving things is fun. And so is creating more free free time, freedom of uh, finances, whatever the freedom may be from that hard work. And I, I think that for my people, what I try to do is be very tough on their actions, but very easy on people. So like to be tough on, on, on their results and what they're trying to achieve, but just easy on the person. Like that person is not the no sale. That's just a result of what happened on their appointment. If they don't have the amount of demos that they want to have for the day, or if it's a manager not getting the results that they want, it, it's, it's the results, it's the actions that we really like to talk about, uh, not just the person identifying as that sales report or as that result, if that makes sense. Yeah. Can you think of any examples just recently that might stand out where you've had to have a conversation with somebody that was tough on their results, but that helped them feel good about where they were and where they were going to go and what was coming next for them? Yeah. I remember we were in one of our sales competitions recently, and this was one of our leaders that is over $100,000 in sales. They're accomplished. They've done great things. Uh, but they were feeling really frustrated after a phone time. They just weren't booking up the number of appointments that they wanted. Uh, they were feeling stuck. They were feeling like they weren't making progress, all, all of those feelings. And, and I just pulled her aside and I said, hey, is it, is it all right if I gave you some perspective on this real quick? And she said, yeah, for sure. And I said, do you think that between you getting started and selling $120,000 of the Cutco and then this moment, did you, you think you just got lucky? No, I don't, I don't think so. Like, no, you, you have the skills, you have the capabilities of doing this. You are good enough to get these results. We might just need to adjust our strategy. Either we're not making enough phone calls, or maybe we need to make phone calls at different times. We've got other things that we can be doing here. But she was beating herself up about things that didn't make any sense. But in the moment, like that's how we're feeling. Our emotions kind of kind of build up to where she was like, well, I don't know if I can do this. It's like, well, you've already done this. Like, I'm just going based on what the facts say you are capable of this. And I said, by the way, just a reminder, we're selling knives. And she just started giggling and went, it's a good point. Like kind of a couple of tears, but got through it. And, and I think that those kind of moments to take a pause and just look at the, the reality of the situation and give perspective is, uh, is one of the things that we can do as leaders. Yeah. Well, I love how you opened that Jake, by asking her, hey, is it all right if I offer you some perspective here? 
right? You, you gave her the opportunity to invite your feedback, which obviously, you know, people are generally going to say yes to that, but the, just that opportunity to invite your feedback, uh, I think was very powerful. And then the way that you built her up while promoting that there needs to be a change in some of the strategy, that was excellent. One of the things I used to do uh, each year from time to time is I would invite a group of uh, people on the team. I just told them it was going to be a special meeting. Uh, I, I want to meet with you and a couple of people. It's a special meeting, you know, c- come in. This would be really easy to do on Zoom these days. And these people had no idea what they were coming in for. And they would come into the office and there'd be like five people there, or six people there or whatever, sometimes three people there. And I would open by saying, the reason I wanted to get together with the five of you today is because I've identified the five of you as the five people with the largest gap between performance and potential. And they would kind of sit there for a second. And I would say, now, what I just shared is a double-edged sword, right? Because what did I say? I said, well, your performance is what? And, you know, one of them would say it sucks or we're not good or, you know, we're, we're not doing well. And I, I would just kind of nod like, and let them sit with that for a second. Their performance is not good. And I'd say, but what's the other side of this? What's the other edge of that sword? Well, our potential is great. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. You five have so much potential, right? And here's why. And I would tell like each one of them why I thought they were great. And then I would take them back to that, like, but look at the results, right? Like there's a disconnect here and I know we can change this. And then we would talk about how to change it. And like those five people would walk out of the office. They didn't have to open the door. They could just blast right through it at the end, <laughs> right? It was, and it, I would experience this massive transformation. Now, inevitably, one or two of the five would go home and would just get back in the same trap, but one or two or three, would break out and would have these great results and it would turn into somebody amazing in the business. And I think finding ways of being tough on on results while building up people, what you just shared right there, that's a key part of creating the right environment, the right atmosphere on a team for sure. I like that. Tell us more, Jake, about how you strike a balance between working hard and having fun. Right. Yeah. Both for not not just for yourself, but for your people as well. Like how do you how do you find that balance? Yeah, I think the big thing that's been helpful that I learned early on was just making sure that they have things that they're looking forward to. And then it makes working hard guilt-free and the time off guilt-free. And there there was a a, a period where I remember one of my reps was just really struggling and felt like he was just slowly doing less and less and less effort. And I sat down with them and, and figured out, I was like, I was like, when's the next time you have something fun you're looking forward to? Whether it's a concert, you're getting together with friends, a family event, just spending time with, with people that you love. And he was like, I don't know. And I said, well, why don't we send a text message right now to one of your friends? And just the act of trying to get something fun into the schedule, you could feel like that burden of feeling like he was trudging through like a boring day of work. And now he had something to look forward to. And I try to emulate that for people 
And I'm not afraid to share with them when I have fun things to look forward to. So every Monday night, I have golf league and I leave the office a little bit early and they know what I'm leaving for. And they tell me to hit them straight as few times as, few times as possible. And I'm like, I'll try. And uh, I have things to look forward to like live sporting events. The first thing I do when the college football season comes out is I put all the Ohio State games into my schedule. I think about all the family events I want to make sure that I go to that are non-negotiable and just spending time with people that I love. And then it's easy to work. I'm motivated. It's like, I need to get as much work as I can because I've only got five days this week instead of six. And it actually makes it work together simultaneously as far as having fun and working hard to get the results. Yeah, I love that you're helping people find things to look forward to. It's so important for people to be motivated towards positive outcomes versus people being motivated away from negative outcomes. A lot of managers or a lot of leaders motivate with a style that is tries to get people away from negative outcomes. And anytime we motivate people in that manner, what we're teaching people is to do just enough to avoid failure, just enough to be mediocre, but not become great. But the more we can get people to be fired up about achieving things and then having rewards uh, for for you know that uh, in recognition of their achievement, we're giving people a lot more positive motivation. We're giving people a lot more reasons to excel. That I think helps people to do a lot better. I like that. Anything else come to mind here on uh, the fun atmosphere with your team? Anything along those lines? Yeah, I'd say the the only other thing that really comes to mind for me when I think about just having fun is I prioritize with our team of making them feel better after they interact with me. And that kind of permeates them throughout the, the, the group. I remember one time I was taking a PDI call around one of my friends and the rep did not have a sale. And he said, well, why didn't, why didn't you yell at her? She didn't make a sale. And I said, well, do you think that they're going to sell more knives if I yell at them? Like, I, I don't think that's the strategy that at least I want to implement. I wouldn't feel good about doing that. And so what I found is that if I can get people to always be in a better mindset after they talk to me, they, they take the right actions. They figure it out. And my job is kind of just to get them into the right perspective and get them feeling good. I love that. We had a, a guy named Tim Sanders come to to uh, SLC to speak one year. I'm not sure if you were there, might've been, been, even been before your time, but he shared a concept that he called. He said it, the, the words he used was creating a positive emotional response in others, right? That any interaction we have should create a positive emotional response. Somebody should feel better after the interaction was over. They might not feel better in every moment of the interaction, right? We're, we're definitely going to all have tough conversations with people sometimes, but they feel better after, right? You describe this. You want people to feel better after finishing an interaction with you or a conversation with you. And that's such a big key to having great relationships and to really you know, building strong connections. I love the example that every interaction we have can be viewed as either a plus one or a minus one. And if you stop viewing interactions as having a zero effect, every interaction has either a plus one or a minus one. It just gets you to think about that a whole lot more, right? Right? Was this a plus one just now, this interaction with this person? Do they feel a little bit better than they did a few minutes ago? 
And I've had times where I've been watching assistant managers do some PDI working with reps. And I'll ask him that question at the end. I'll be like, was that, do you, do you feel like that call was a plus one or a minus one? And, and if they can't come up with a quick answer of, oh, that was a plus, here's why, right? I, I haven't on occasion told people like, hey, call them back, call them back and say, hey, you know what? I forgot something and I wanted to talk to you about it and turn that interaction into a positive. Make sure that when you leave an interaction with somebody that they're feeling better than they were a few minutes ago, that they're uplifted, that they're encouraged, that they're more motivated or inspired and they're moving in a good direction. And it just seems like that's something that you're all about, Jake, and the, the way that you interact with people. For sure. Awesome. Good stuff. Now, now tell me this, Jake, as somebody who's super positive and optimistic, how do you respond during tough times? Yeah. So I remember when I was new with the position, sales rep, not too difficult. AM was pretty easy. Branch, I loved it. Worked hard, sold a lot. New DM, we were number one. It was great. And then that that second full, like, or I guess it was my third summer in management, second as a district manager, I then started put expectations on myself that, well, I've been doing this now. It's my third summer doing it. I should get better results. And we were falling flat on our face. Like it was, it was brutal. And I remember getting a call from my region manager, Jeff Bry, and he just said, Hey, uh, how are you doing? And I start like, you know, blabbering on about, Oh, we're recruiting and we're trying to improve it. Like we're doing this. Like, don't worry. He goes, no, no, no. I'm just asking like, how are you? And I like actually started crying about my knife selling results. I was not feeling good about where our business was at. I was really frustrated. And I almost felt, I think in that moment, like I was letting Jeff down. I was letting Chris down. I was letting down everybody that had believed in me to move up to Michigan five hours away from home. And I think the two biggest lessons that I learned from that was one was the the importance of having somebody else there to give you some support, ideally a leader. Meaning that Jeff was like, hey, we're going to get some time tomorrow. I'm like, well, Jeff, I can't on a Wednesday in the middle of June. Like that is not like we got to run interviews. He goes, the interviews will be fine. I'm going to meet you in Lansing. We went, we we grabbed a bite to eat, got a chance to talk, got my mind in, in, in a good spot. And that was really beneficial. So the the power of a leader being able to pull somebody through the, those challenging situations and really him just being there was really helpful. And then the second thing I think that was a big lesson that I learned then, but just in general, that has helped me with my mindset towards things was the concept of being 100% committed to my goals, but flexible with how long it takes to get there. Mm -hmm. So it was more of an abundance mindset versus scarcity. Like I have a lot of friends. I don't have any kids, but I have a lot of people around me that have little kids. Well, a little kid doesn't really care if it takes them eight months or 10 months to learn how to crawl or at what point they start to walk. They just want to eventually get there to where they're standing up and they're walking and they're running. And so I think so often because we have reports, because we have standings, because we have contests, everybody's very acutely aware of how long it took somebody to get to X milestone or X sales number. And when I released that pressure of how long it took me to get there, it really helped me to enjoy the process and be a lot more optimistic and positive, regardless of what the sales report said. Boy, I love that. Just the idea of releasing the pressure 
of specific times to get to goals. Obviously, we have timelines with our goals that help try to keep give us urgency and you know keep us keep us honest, right? But in the end, what you just described is so true. It's like the length of time it took you to get to something is going to be far less important than did you actually get there? Have you reached those levels? And are you now reaping the benefit of, of being a, a, at those levels? And that was a great point that you made. So Jeff has been a key part of helping you with overcoming challenging times in your career. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff has always been there through ups and downs. And I remember the very first time that my parents met Jeff Bry at a, at a year-end banquet. They were like, Jake, you need to work here as long as they will let you. <laughs> there aren't many people like that around. They've had lots of principals and superintendents, athletic directors that are time teaching and coaching. And they're like, there's not a lot of uh, Jeff Bry's out there to be able to, to learn from, to emulate, and to have as a role model. And uh, he's always gone to bat for me. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. What's it like working these days with Brett? Yeah, Brett, Brett's been a lot of fun to work with. We just had a, a call right before this. And I think some of the things that I've really enjoyed about learning and working with Brett is the way that he has tough conversations with people. And it's in the way that I would want to have it in a positive way. His systems to scale things is really well, well done. And, and his day-to-day calendars that he kind of lays out for both reps and managers, it's really figured out. And it's all tied into the, the pillars that we use to really kind of anchor in our division. I, I know that that's, uh, that's one of the episodes on the podcast here that you can go back and listen to, but, uh, but that's been really beneficial to learn from and, and work alongside. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jake, what does the future hold for you and your team? Yeah, so future, looking ahead, getting to a million dollars in sales. $10 million in Cutco career sales, getting into the company hall of fame, being a DVM in the future is definitely a goal of mine that it's, I guess, ties into the point I made earlier, as far as it's definitely something I'm hundred percent committed to, and I'm flexible with how long it takes to get there. It'll happen when it happens. And so I'm really looking forward to continuing to learn with Brett, learning from Jeff, learning from, from other leaders throughout the, the Midwest region and throughout the company. And as far as specifically with my team, uh, I've really enjoyed the the staff that we have right now. Uh, Caitlin Tomasek is our district office sales manager, and she's been fantastic working with me for a couple of years. So looking forward to her growing. And she is actually going from Grand Valley, where she just graduated, to Ohio State for grad school. So I could not be more proud of somebody going the reverse from Grand Rapids down to, to Columbus. And yeah, I'd say just in general, day to day, I really aspire to continue to change people's lives by sharing the gifts that I have with the people that I love and my team and everybody I get to come into contact with. And it's been a fun 12 years and I look forward to the next 12. Yeah. Outstanding, Jake. Well, you know, uh, Jeff Bry said something about you that I thought was a tremendous compliment. He said, every single person loves Jake Doherty. And I, you know, I don't know that I would say that about a lot of people. And I think that that just, it, it really says something about your relatability. It says something about your spirit. I mean, it just says something about, you know, what we've talked about here, how you leave people feeling after you're interacting with them. Those are some great qualities that can help build an amazing organization, build a following 
right? More so than just an organization, but a following. And uh, it, it really is a tremendous, tremendous skill uh, that you've cultivated. And I do feel like it's something that others can learn and can cultivate. And it's been cool to hear a lot of your insights on how you've built this you know, great business and how you've built this great vibe in your business over the years, Jake. You got any last words before we wrap? No, I just want to say thanks for the time. I appreciate you having me on as a guest. And thank you specifically to you for all the work you're putting into this podcast. It's fantastic for us in the field to get to hear everybody else's stories, but also great lessons to share with our team. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for being a fan and supporter and thanks for being an awesome guest. All right, that was Jake Doherty. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Jake a little bit here today. Just another great example of a strong vector leader who is having a positive impact on so many people in his organization. Great stuff. I love how he said, you show up regardless of how you feel. That was one of the things he learned early in his vector career, that concept of the decision train, that we act our way into feeling. Jake mentioned that some people ask him, are you always like this? We talked about being positive and optimistic. And he said, well, yes, of course. I neglected to ask him, were you always like this earlier in your life as a youngster, right? As you were growing up. I'm not so sure what Jake would have answered to that question, but I do believe that when people exhibit the belief of showing up, regardless of how you feel, and you practice that over and over again, you engage in that decision train concept where you're letting your decisions drive the train, that you do become someone who is consistently positive and optimistic. Not because you don't have any challenges, but specifically because life is hard and it makes it easier on you and others when you tackle it in a positive, optimistic fashion. Jake said, everybody deserves my best. And I thought that was a great quote from the interview that people can really think about. He talked about how working hard creates freedom, right? So as you're you're trying to create an organization where you're having fun, it's important to also be serious about succeeding. And that when you work hard, you'll succeed much more often than not. And that creates a lot of freedom to have more fun, to be able to schedule more of the things we want in our life into our plan. I love, of course, the concept about being tough on results while being easy on people as a leader, as a manager. That's an important skill to master. And the idea as well of making people feel better after they've interacted with you. That's a great one to think about as we wrap this one up today. Consider that concept of the plus one, minus one, that every interaction is either a plus one or a minus one. There's no zeros. Did you leave somebody feeling better? Or did you leave somebody feeling worse? Consider that one and work on making sure that every interaction you have today, tomorrow, and every day is helping people to feel better about what's coming next for them. Jake referenced the profound impact of Jeff Bry in his life. Jeff was featured in episode number 13. And Jake also mentioned some of the strategic anchors of his division. And that was highlighted in episode number 43 with Brett Wiggins, his division manager. Check those out as well. Thanks, Jake Doherty, for a great episode. And thanks, Jake Doherty, 
for being a positive example of how to live for so many other people. I appreciate having you as a guest on the podcast. Hope you all enjoy this one. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.